Well, hello, welcome, welcome, welcome once again to Bible Study Live. Thank you for those who have tuned in as well as those who are in the building with us. We ask that you would just like, comment, and share, and hopefully you are subscribed to us on all our platforms so you can stay connected to us. Let's go before the Lord in prayer this evening. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you, praise you, love you, honor you, and appreciate you. Thank you for all that you are, all that you mean, all that you've done for us. Thank you for your grace, your amazing grace that is so awesome. God, we ask that you would illuminate the study, that you would encourage, strengthen, bless, touch, heal, and deliver all in our study today. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we have been in our kingdom series and we have been enjoying uh preaching and teaching this series starting off with king of kings and the premise and idea of that is that god is the king he came to become king and we are the kings under him we are a royal priesthood we're both kings and priests under the major king which is god and through his son jesus we have access into the royal family and then we went into kingdom come. And the major premise of that is God's kingdom coming here on the earth. Not so much about us escaping and leaving and getting to heaven, but us bringing the kingdom of God here. Uh, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that was is the goal. And then we had there is a king in me. And the major premise of there's a king in me is developing the king within, uh, going through the process and the journey to become the king within, talking about David, how he was anointed, but he was still a shepherd. Many things went wrong, but through the process, he came to be king and he was able to stand in there, but developing the king within. And so then we shifted to kingdom wealth. And so that was last week. And with kingdom wealth, uh, we were talking about loving money. And the difference between loving money. So basically the premise of kingdom wealth is wealth God's way. And so we start off by focusing on the negative so we know what not to do. And loving money was what we said that we don't want to do. You want to love God, love people, never love things. You want to use things but not love the things. And so we talked about that and then we end up talking about how God will make you glad. And so we talked about what we called March gladness. So we transitioned from that into kingdom wealth part two which was last week and so let's uh well not last week it was sunday so let's define kingdom again a realm under the control of a particular person or thing and then uh, the number two definition which i've always always pointed this out because i like what it says but i like where it came from it says the spiritual reign or authority of god the rule of God or Christ in a future age. And the reason why I like that is because it came from Merriam-Webster's dictionary. It was not a biblical dictionary or a Christian dictionary that stated the kingdom as the spiritual reign or authority of God. So even secular people have understood that God is the supreme being. He's supreme reign. He's the king. So understanding that is important. But the difference that I have is what we're trying to point out in this kingdom series is that uh the end of this it focuses on the rule of god or christ in a future age and what we're saying is we're not trying to put that age off into the future only we're trying to call it into the present we understand that there is a, a future age we understand that there's things heaven and all that but we understand 
that what we do now is important. So we're trying to bring the kingdom now. So what we're doing, we're bringing the two uh, planes together, uh, heavenly kingdom and earthly kingdom and bringing them to, uh, to one. They're becoming one in and through us. And so that is how we see the fullness of what God desired because we're still in a fallen world. And so we're trying to be what we need to be. So the king would want to come and establish his kingdom here. So he started it, but then he left. And we know in the future age to come, we will see the fullness of it. But we're we're trying to bring it now. We're trying to spark the kingdom by what we're doing now. So that's why we're studying it. And so having said that, there's no kingdom without the concept of wealth. So most times when you think of a king, you think of it hand in hand with wealth. In few occasions, you will see uh, people who are poor kings. And you sometimes a person who is a king by lineage, by birth, and uh, maybe the previous generations lost the power, lost the wealth, and so the new generation shows up on the scene and they don't have any wealth. They're poor, but by nature, they're still kings. And so that's normally not what we think of. We think of a king that has a kingdom, has wealth, and all these other things. And so we have to think of the concept of wealth and we have to think through that and understand that that is a part of the kingdom. But going to that original example, that is somewhat the case with us in the sense that Adam and Eve, they turned this world over to Satan, turned it over to darkness. And so we who are part of God, we are kings now, but sometimes because of what we have to deal with, we are poor kings. We are kings who have not secured wealth. We're fighting for what is ours. And so when we say bringing the kingdom to earth, we're talking about spiritual things, but we're understanding that it touches on natural things as well. And wealth is one of those things. And by and large, the those who we talked about last week, those who love money and treat money the wrong way, they have seemed to be more prominent than God's people, which has led some to believe that God doesn't care about wealth at all. He only cares about us living right here and going to heaven and getting everything over there. But that doesn't seem to track with what we see in scripture because there are some things that need to be done here that we can't put off to heaven. So we have to break out of the mindset of being poor kings. We have to know that there is wealth for now, for this age, that we need to access, that we need to lean into, that we need to call toward us. But in order to do that, we have to have the right mindset where wealth is concerned. We have to put it in its right context. And if we are kingly from the sense of God as our king, the heavenly king and the heavenly kingdom coming to earth, then we understand that we are not trading in earthly things for spiritual things. Our focus is always the spiritual first, but we're looking for the spiritual to produce the other things. And so we define wealth as this. Plentiful supplies of a particular resource. I like that definition because it doesn't speak of money only. It doesn't speak of material things. Wealth is not a material only word. It is a word that really means abundance. It means a plentiful supply of any particular resource. 
And so with us at Deliverance Temple, our highest form of wealth should be our love. That is our vision. We should be wealthy in love. Where we have not seen material wealth, it should be made up in the fact that we have an abundance of love. And then from uh, on, abundance of faith, hope, joy, all the things that the spiritual realm brings to us. But let's not think that those things will not produce some level of natural wealth. Natural means because we live in a world where we have to use natural means. So to act like we don't need it, we don't want it, would be disingenuous. We do. We are human. There are things that we would like more of. Some of us are going to jobs that we would rather not go to, but we have to because we have bills, we have things. And so while we're working on our spiritual health and our spiritual wealth, we can't forget that that can benefit us in our natural health and our natural wealth. So we're not going to be super deep and act like, oh, we don't want it. We don't need it. Yes, but we want it the right way. So we're willing to wait. And even if we have to wait till we cross over to heaven, we say we're okay with that because we're putting the things of God first and foremost. But if there's an avenue for God to bring it in this area, this age, we welcome it. We say yes. We are saying, God, you can blow our mind as it relates to material things. We are open because we believe we have the right heart, the right mindset, and we believe we will use it and uh, delineate it the right way. All right. So that's our pre premise. And so let's break it down to this simple principle. Basically, what we're saying is kingdom wealth is simply this is wealth with a purpose. It's having purpose for wealth. So in the unregenerated, unholy, earthly mindset, wealth is only to be consumed upon one's own lusts, one's own desires. Well, we understand that our desires can be outside of the will of God. Our desires have to come subject to the will of God. So our primary goal for wealth cannot be consumed upon our own lusts because we don't even trust ourselves. We don't trust our lust. That's a good phrase, a good tag that you can remember. We don't trust our lust. So we don't trust the flesh. So we try to come under subjection so that when wealth does come to, our, to us, the first thing we want to do is have a purpose for it, a godly, kingly purpose that honors our king more than it honors our flesh. Now, if our flesh is benefited secondarily, that's okay. But to put our flesh first and foremost, it's not really the goal that we want with our wealth. It's not real wealth with a purpose. One thing that we need to understand that when it comes to material wealth, specifically money specifically, that money is a magnifier. So normally wherever you are, when money find it only magnifies that. So if you are mean and hateful, when you get money, you have more money and more means to be more mean and more hateful. If you're going off on Burger King workers, then you probably going to go off on high five star uh, luxury restaurant workers. It's just going to magnify who you are. So we're trying to grow in the fruit of the spirit. So if money finds us, it'll just magnify us. It'll it'll show us as more loving, 
more caring, more all the things that we're working on because our focus is never the money. Our focus is always our relationship with God. So it's wealth with a purpose. All right, so we, we went through basically Matthew 6 and we parked there a lot. So let's start off with verse 19. I'm going to leave it up for a, a moment. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. Another thing, since we're in Bible study, we'll just remind us when we're studying the Bible, we have to understand the Bible in context. And so we don't take the Bible as extremely literal. For, for example, if we were to look at this verse as extremely literal, it basically says, don't save any money while you're on the earth, if you were taking it extremely literal. But you don't take the Bible in extreme literal. But what you do, you use it as its comparison base. So in comparison to, you don't do this or do that. There's nothing wrong with saving, nothing wrong with storing. But in comparison to where your spiritual life is, you put more savings in spiritual things than earthly things. So when it, so you have to have wisdom when you're reading. And sometimes in order to gain the wisdom, you need to go back and gain context by reading the entire uh, chapter, sometimes the entire book. Now, I'll give cut to the chase and let you know this is Jesus speaking. It's Jesus declaring this. But we don't want to take it extremely literal because we know he used money in his ministry. So he's not saying you don't use it at all. He's just doing the comparison. So lay not up for yourself treasures upon the earth. In other words, that should be your major goal because moth and rust does corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. In other words, what he's saying, it is not the most secure thing. And that's what wealth does. Monetary wealth brings some sense of security. But what Jesus is saying, it's don't put so much stock in it that that is your security. Uh, spiritual things is more your security. So verse 20 says, but so here's the contrast, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. So in comparison, he's saying you put most of your effort and energy into storing up in spiritual ways. In other words, you are investing more in your spiritual life than you are in your natural life. Doesn't mean you don't invest in your natural life at all. That would be ignorant not to do so. But it's just saying in comparison, more on the spiritual side, which is what we basically said even in setting up this uh, teaching today. That's, that's the focus. So uh, I'm using the Bible to prove what I've already told you. All right, let's look at verse 21. Then here's a statement that he really wants to get to. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So now we see why he's bringing the comparison up, because he's really talking about matters of the heart. He's talking about where your heart is concerned. You need to have more invested spiritually where your heart is concerned than you do naturally. So a lot of people, they only focus on their natural life and never take account their heart. So they never ask Jesus into their heart. They never turn their heart over to God. They never take an inventory of their heart of, okay, I've got bitterness and I've got junk in here. I've got some stuff. They don't 
deal with any of those things. All their stuff is natural, external things. And so they take an inventory of their cars, their houses, their 401k, but take no inventory of their heart. As spiritual people, we are in the reverse. We, we put more attention on our inner being, our hearts, the core of who we are. When we did the heart series last year, we talked about the heart being the center of your being. But he's bringing another uh, thought in that where your, uh, let's go back to the scripture so we have it right. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if you have treasured godly things, your heart's going to be in godly things. If you have treasured earthly things, your heart's going to be in earthly things. But if you have treasured one more than the other, then you you can have it properly weighted and properly balanced. If you've treasured the things of God more, your heart will be there and the uh, the natural treasures will be secondary. But if you do it the opposite way and you treasure earthly things first, then the things of the spirit are going to be secondary, which is what we don't want to do. And then we showed you the trap last week. You can actually get trapped into loving money, which will really plunge you into ruin. So how do we make sure we're in the right mode? Let's continue to read. It's understanding this. This helps us make the right decision because many of us say, hey, we love God. We want God. And so uh, sometimes we want to have God and a secondary uh, focus, a focus that is secondary, but it's almost equal. It's, it's like God and. But God doesn't operate like that. When you're locked into God, he has a tendency of dominating everything he wants to dominate everything the scripture says he's a jealous god some people have taken that out of its context but he's just saying that hey hey i made you i created you i put my breath in you really i have ownership of you i've allowed you to have free will but what i really want i really want you because you belong to me so much so that i paid a high price for you so that's what that means and so God has the right to dominate and so when you look at that word dominate sometimes it's negative but think of it in relationship to the series we're teaching king dominate king dominion king dumb so the same word that's on the end of uh kingdom is the same word where we get dominion domain and dominate it really means rulership so the king wants to have rulership of your heart and if your heart is chasing after a bunch of things then god can't have full rulership of your heart something else is dividing your heart and then jesus really lays into this uh statement here no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other and he makes it really clear. You cannot serve God and mammon. So he's sharing the, the juxtaposition of the two. So it, it looks like he's only talking about serving natural things and serving God. But he's actually letting us know there's actually a spirit and he gives the spirit a name. He calls it mammon. He says you can't serve God mammon. So first of all, he says you can't serve two masters and explains that. But then he says you can't serve God and mammon. Okay, so now what is mammon? Why would Jesus lift that out specifically? So 
point that he's making is there are other things that try to master you, but you can serve God and deal with those things. So we, we just talked about lust. Lust will try to master you. The flesh will try to master you. Sin will try to master you. But God says you can actually serve me and be dealing with those things because I will dominate that. That's part of the kingdom. But there is a spirit that you can't serve me with because it comes to mimic me. It actually comes to dominate some of those other things like sin comes to put you in bondage. But the goal of you being in bondage is not necessary to have all of you. It's just to make you less effective for God. So God says, I can deal with that. I can take care of sin. But mammon is different. It wants to control you the way God should be controlling you. It actually wants to replace God in your life. Sin doesn't necessarily want to do that. Sin is just trying to, the Bible tells, says Satan or the thief, it comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's just the major focus of Satan. So sin has a pretty simple focus. But mammon is a demonic spirit that attaches itself to material wealth specifically. And the goal is to mimic God to be the king of your life and to have kingdom over you, to have rulership over you to where you have no control. Now, sometimes sin will do that to you as well, but that's a byproduct. That's a result. That's not necessarily the goal. The goal of sin is to destroy you. And if it has to control you, destroy you, that's what sin will do. But mammon specifically is trying to only control you. Don't really want to destroy you because that doesn't do them any good. I, I really want to be in control. I want to pull the strings. And so let's look at the definition then. Now, this is, a, again, this is not a biblical uh, dictionary. This is a secular dictionary saying this. Wealth regarded as an evil influence or false object of worship. Pick that up, false object of worship. So it actually, like I said, it wants to mimic God. It wants to be worshiped as if God is worshiped. So a false object of worship and devotion. So what's your devotion? It was taken by medieval writers as the name of the devil of covetousness. So it's actually a specific demon. It's not necessarily Satan itself, but it is a specific demon and it tries to sneak in as it relates to wealth. And so since wealth is something that we often need or money is something we have to have to use, it's perfect for Satan to assign a demon to attach itself to that so that uh, it can slip in, slither in and, and get the result that it needs, which is control and domination. If you, if you just think wisely, I don't have time to really do it. It just, it just crossed my mind. If you just think in history, let's actually, let's not even take all of history. Let's just take American history. America is only 200 plus years old, actually 246 years old. I know that because I was born in the bicentennial year. I was born in 1976, which is 200 years after 1776. So however old I am, you add that to 200, that's how old America is. So we're 246 years old. And everything we have seen from the start of America, even though America has done some good things, Everything we have seen from the start of America has really been the spirit of mammon from the very get go, from the fact that it was taxation without representation. 
So those people, they broke away from Britain and they came to the colonies of America, call it trying to start uh, a new world. They try to break away from the rule of Britain. They want to start a new world, except where there were people already here. This was not just brand new, empty, vacant land. There were Indians here. There were indigenous people here. And they were just like, forget that. We got guns and we'll take over. And then we will use the slave trade to build our wealth. From the get-go of America, all the way down to now, where you see in Nashville, Tennessee, that people are being killed and gunned down with assault rifles. And the only reason why assault rifles are not banned is because of the gun lobbyists who don't want it banned, and they're in Congress lobbying, and the people who are fighting against it, they get big dollars to make sure it doesn't happen. So America has been corrupt from its core, from its slave labor, all the way through, and that's why it has the problems it has. It has been able to do some good things, but by and large, we are a wicked nation, and we don't want to say it. We want to act like we're a Christian nation. From the start of it, we are wicked. So that's why when they say make America great again, I want to know how far back we're going to go. Because from the start, it's been the spirit of mammon. It's been that that spirit of control evil all the way till, till now. There's enough wealth, food in America. No one should be homeless. No one should be hungry. I talked about it last week, the drug epidemics, opioid epidemics, trace all of it back to money, money and power. It's the spirit of mammon. It's the spirit that wants to control and dominate and worship. And the almighty dollar has been worshipped so much in this country. That's why we still have some of the existing problems that we have. Do you really believe that there is no cure for cancer? Or is it more likely that if they really cured cancer, a whole bunch of people would be out of a job? A whole bunch of people would lose money. A whole bunch of all this money for cancer research, all these buildings would have to come down if they really push the real cure. So when you think about that, that's why you can't get caught up in that spirit because you'll do some crazy things. All right, so that's, that's enough of that little history lesson. Let's move on. Let's look at verse 25. Therefore, I say to you, so here's, here is a something I'm saying to you based on what I just told you. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? All right. It actually seems like Jesus is changing subjects. He's talking about uh, the money and then the whole mammon spirit. And then he totally jumps off and starts talking about worry. But I think there's a clue. And so one of the things I shared on Sunday that I think I need to say again to, today is that when it comes to demons and demonic things, not not every demon is a smart demon. There are there are hierarchy and there's ranks of devils. There's ranks of demons. The Bible calls it spiritual wickedness in high places. That's the highest. They're lower level demons and they're not as crafty. And so some of those demons we can see coming because they they make they make a bunch of noise as they come. They are they're loud. In other words, like and I use the example of horror movies on uh on TV or in the movies, some stuff you look at, you see the trailer, you be like, uh, I ain't watching that. That's, that's too demonic. Ain't no way I'm going to see that. Ain't no way I'm bringing in a room. They're bringing that into my house or my room. There's some stuff you look at and you can tell it's just demonic, but that's not the way all demons work. There are some demons that are much more subtle. 
because they want to work in tricking and they want to work in deception. The Bible says that Satan could actually transform himself into an angel of light. So the idea that every demon is going to be all ugly, nasty looking where you can just pick up on it and you can feel the demonic presence, that's just erroneous. That's one side of devilment. But there's a whole nother side of devilment that is just real subtle. And in Song of Solomon, they, they use this, the, uh, the saying that it's the small foxes that destroy the vine. So mammon is actually one of those subtle demons. It's a very powerful demon, but it's one that you're really not going to pick up on. It's, you're not going to see it coming. And so that's why Jesus turns the corner because what he wants to do, he wants to pinpoint to show you something that if you start slipping into worry and you start worrying about natural things so much, I actually want to show you that you more than likely are being under the oppression of mammon because mammon's not going to come up and knock and say, hey, Andre, I'm trying to get you. I'm trying to trap you up. So Jesus, first of all, tells them what it is, says you can't serve God and, and mammon. But also, um, let me let you know something. If you're worrying a whole lot about these particular things, so he's he's making the connection for them. Jesus was a master teacher. And since we were not living in the time that he taught and we only have the words and the copies and the copies and the copies of the copies, there's a lot of things that are missed in translation unless you allow the Holy Spirit to illuminate you and just look and you start looking at things. And so we have this one verse and we have a next verse. We don't know how much time was in between when Jesus taught it. We don't know how much he paused. We don't know any of that. Oh, we just see the, the two verses side by side. So it's easy for us just to run through them. But usually there's so much revelation and just slowing down and seeing, okay, why did he switch from mammon to worry? He's actually showing us there's a key. So with that understanding, then the things that he's saying is going to help us. So verse 26, look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Verse 27, which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? And I, I think the reason why he has it. So, so first of all, he, he, he points them to the birds and, and he talks about the birds and how they're actually taken care of. So, so the point he's making of when you're serving God, at the end of the day, you just start realizing I'm taken care of. And so worry will come, but it won't stay forever. You'll, you'll be able to navigate that. And then he makes a point. And the reason why I think he makes this point is because in most of human nature, when, when you look at all of humans, most of us are not uh, tall by nature. When you go to average sizes, most people are short all throughout all of humanity. So most people want, and especially uh, when you deal with men, most people want to be a little bit taller, at least. Women may say they want want to change their weight, but that's something that you can do through diet, exercise. But one thing you can't do, you can't add height to yourself. And that's usually a common thing that people desire. And so he points to that and he says, like, if you could use your thought processes to do anything, you probably wouldn't make yourself taller. The next thing, you probably would make yourself have more money or be taken care of. So if worrying could produce that, you would have done a lot of things by now. So the fact that you're worrying and you already know worrying doesn't work, the fact that you're worrying, you're probably demonically influenced. 
he's craftily laying out his case like a lawyer. And then he says this, therefore, so now he's bringing them to another point. Therefore, do not worry, saying, when I taught this on Sunday, I had my mother consistently read this uh, first phrase over and over, so I'll do it again. Therefore, do not worry, comma, saying. Therefore, do not worry, comma, saying. Therefore, do not worry, comma, saying. So now he's really helping us understand. So if you're worrying about things you can't change, you're probably demonically influenced. And how we know you're worrying is not that a thought crosses your mind. It's when it comes out of your mouth, which is there's an old saying, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can keep them from making a nest in your hair. So, which makes me think that the reason why Jesus went to birds and started talking about birds, because he, he was laying down this masterful teaching, trying to show us that once you get to the place where you're consistently saying, so let's go back to the scripture, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Once you're in that mode where that's consistently coming out of your mouth, dominating what you say, then worry has got a hold of you. If worry has got a hold of you, something or someone planted it there. And in this context, it was more than likely the demon of mammon that is trying to get you to worry about material things. And and this is where this is going, because once you worry so much and know you can't do anything about it, then you start going through great lengths to get it done. How does a person ultimately think I'm going to rob a bank? It starts with a thought. And then at some point, there's some helplessness. And then it's like, ah, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to rob a bank, which is probably one of the worst things you can try to think of doing because of all the security. But what got them to that place is that demon that implanted that in there. So then he makes this statement as well. For after all these things, the Gentiles seek for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. He says, those who do not have a covenant with God, that's what they actually seek. Because once mammon gets to controlling them, then they have to go out and do something. They have to put some action and they, they actually begin to seek. And all kinds of crazy things happen after that. But he says, your heavenly father knows that you need me. He's letting out, he's reminding you that, first of all, he says, you can't serve God and mammon. So he, he, he's talking about God as the master. But as he brings it down, he brings it all the way down to understanding really God is your father. He's your heavenly father. So at the end of the day, because he's your daddy, he got you taken care of. So if you're seeking it like the Gentiles seek who don't have any covenant relationship with him, then you're acting like you're not a child of God. And if you're acting like you're not a child of God, another spirit is taking a hold of you. So he's really laid this out very well for them. And then he comes to this major point, which is what we want to bring up. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. So now he's proving once again, the things are not the problem because he's saying they'll be added to you. So the problem is not the things. The problem is seeking the thing. If you are kingdom minded, you will be always seeking the kingdom and the king, which is God, who happens to be your father. You are always going to be thinking about the business, the family business. You're not going to be thinking about the end game. So you take families who uh, 
had children who totally destroy the family business. So let's say you have a, a, a business that's well, and the father wants the business to progress in well into generations, but he's withholding the full wealth uh, for the son. He's withholding it and making the son work through the ranks making the son work in the mailroom and then go up because he wants the son to understand the family business. He's got the wealth reserved for him, but he wants him to understand the family business. So he's making him go the long way, going through the process, the journey. And then he's going to release the wealth to him and the business would be okay because the son is going to know every step along the journey and the process. But if the son tries to circumvent that and say, forget this, I ain't working in the mailroom. Bump this, I'm, and then he robs from the company, and he goes and runs off and does other things. You would think, man, he didn't understand the full family business. He was too short-sighted to see the fullness of what God was trying to do, or the fullness of what his father was trying to do. So the question is, are we like that? Are we like the son that's not smart, or are we like what we call the prodigal son, who said, give me my inheritance now? and then blew it and wasted it? Or are we willing to seek after God and the kingdom knowing he has our best interests at heart? So let's put this together in a, a, a good uh, tidy way of saying it. Wealth that provokes covetousness, worry, envy, and jealousy is not kingdom wealth. Just that simple. Or, or wealth that you can't wait for, wealth that you can't trust the process in is not kingdom wealth. All right, so... What is kingdom wealth? Once again, kingdom wealth comes with peace and purpose. So what is the kingdom purpose of wealth? And here, here we go. The reason for which something is done or created or for which something exists. And so now we're going to define purpose. We've defined kingdom. We've defined wealth. We've showed you what mammon meant. Now we're going to define purpose. The actual reason for which something is done or created or the reason why something exists. So in the scenario I just gave you, the only reason why the father was withholding from the son was not because he didn't want him to have the stuff. He wanted him to understand the business. And so the purpose for him, the full purpose of the father is that the business would grow. And so the process is all about the purpose. And if the son only looks at the end result, and doesn't understand the purpose is going to blow it. And and this is just a made up example, but it, but you can find real examples of this where uh, generations after just totally messed up what the previous generation was trying to do. They were trying to set them up for generational wealth. And one generation was just too short sighted. Very simple with us. Same thing. So now what we're doing, we're answering the question. Well, then what is the purpose of wealth? What is the kingdom purpose of wealth? What is God's purpose of wealth? It's, I mean, he, he, it says he will add it to you. It doesn't, it doesn't seem to suggest that it's bad. We talked about it last week that it's, it's neither positive nor negative. It's actually neutral. You just have to have a purpose with it. It depends on who, who has their hands on it and who has the purpose behind it. So you take a pornographer, which we talked about last week, and you, grab they grab the wealth they have a different purpose there's a there's a story i just just watched uh recently on netflix about uh porn industry and how you you have people who are doing it to make money 
I mean, actually, this is how they feed their family. That Those are really the wicked people. The wicked people are the ones who are pulling the strings and doing all kinds of crazy things. And they talk about how they know they have child pornography is being pushed out. They know it. They've been told about it, but it's making money. So they just like act like they don't know anything about it. So that person who is doing that, they're using the purpose of wealth. So they're using wealth in such a wrong purpose that it's so disgusting. So we have human trafficking, which you've always had human trafficking. That's what slavery is, is human trafficking. Now it's tied to sex trade. And so people are doing it simply to line their pockets. So you're seeing someone who has the wrong purpose has totally taken something that is inanimate uh, object like money and given it a horrible purpose. So isn't a possibility that God will want someone else to do something totally different with it in a positive way? So let's stop being so super deep Christians that we run away from money. Oh, money's dirty, money's bad. No, someone with the wrong purpose made it that way. So we need to do it the opposite way. Even in the drug game, they have something called laundering money, which means they got money illegally. And they what they say, they have to clean the money. So they try to put it in a legitimate business to make it look like it came from legitimate. And they call that laundering or cleaning the money. But let's use that same mindset. Let's, as the kingdom of God, let's clean the money by taking it. And then instead of it finding illegal means, illegal hands and bad purposes, and not all the things that are done with money are illegal. Some things are very legal, but they still have the wrong purpose. And so we as kingdom people, we should be starting to think in terms of generational wealth we should be thinking in terms of i know before god wraps things thing up he doesn't want the church broke busted and disgusted he wants people who have purpose and so we should be saying hey i want to be one of those ones i want to get myself right because i want to change what the purpose that people have been using it for and use it for something positive i want to change my city my neighborhood my family you may not be able to change your nation what if you started with your family what if you're the one who's going to cause your family to be able to go to college for generations? What if you're able to change your neighborhood? What if you're able to change your community instead of causing your community to be harmed by you getting money, your community being blessed by you getting money? So that's the mindset. And that was the mindset of Bishop Royce Mitchell. So that should be our mindset. We're not scared of wealth. We just want to use it the right way. And since we are loving people and our ultimate part of our vision statement is communicating Christ's love compassionately, then what we are going to use the money for, we're going to use it to communicate Christ's love compassionately. In other words, if you're down and I'm up, you're no longer going to be down because I'm going to use my wealth to make sure you're up like I'm up. Now, I don't want to enable you if you're doing the wrong thing, but I, I can at least give you a hand up and try to train you and try to give you the knowledge if you don't want the knowledge, that's another thing. But I would at least try. If I could see you down and just it doesn't bother me, if I can see whole neighborhoods down and distressed and it doesn't bother me and I have means, I have the wrong purpose for my wealth. You should be a blesser, which we talked about that last week. When you don't love money, then the opposite thing is you actually use money. You use it as a tool, but you use it as a tool to love people. So, Let's look at this one more time and then we're going to try to wrap, wrap it up. So the purpose, the reason for what something is done or created or for which something exists. All right, let's 
include this into the equation of what we're talking about. So what is the reason for which money has been created? Why does money exist? Why is why was wealth created? Why did wealth exist? Did the devil create wealth? No. God created it. Did the devil pervert, pervert and distort it? Yes. That's he did that with everything. In that's in the earth. So when you go all the way back to Genesis, before sin, before the fall, it talks about the rivers that were in the Garden Eden, and it talks about one specific river where gold was. So gold was in the earth before man ever fell. So wealth was actually created by God. It just got distorted. So wouldn't it make sense to get back in righteous hands? But why would he put it back in righteous hands? If we don't understand the purpose, because the first time it was put in righteous hands, it was in Adam and Eve's hands. They didn't understand the full purpose. They blew it. So why would God trust us with it again if we're just going to blow it? So we have to get our mindset right. So let's look at this and see that he's always been doing this, trying to get it into our hands. Let's look at Psalms 105, 30, uh, 37. He also brought them out with silver and gold. And there was none feeble among his tribes. I can just cut to the chase and tell you what that's about. This is the recanning in Psalms of the children of Israel, of their journey as slaves out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea and into the wilderness. And the Bible says he brought them out with silver and gold, not one sick or feeble among them. So this is at this time in the Bible, it is the greatest wealth transfer that we see. They were slaves who had nothing. But after God got done with the plagues and working on Egypt and Pharaoh, those people were so ready to get rid of the children of Israel. They actually gave them money to leave. They actually paid them to get away. If you look at uh, the scripture, it says that God told the uh, Hebrew women to actually ask, to ask. Of it. And so he used the women and they asked and they were like, here, they were giving them stuff. Get away from us. Egypt always represents the world. So the money came from the world, went into the hands of God's people. That was a wealth transfer. The first transfer of wealth was from Adam and Eve's hands into Satan's hands. But now we see a transfer back here in this case. All right. And then says this, verse 38, Egypt was glad when they departed, what I just told you, for the fear of them had fallen upon them. So the fear, especially after the firstborn of, of all of Egypt died, animals and everything, after that happened, they were all just done. And they were, they were afraid that, listen, your God, because Egypt worshiped a bunch of gods, but they were like, your God is different. And obviously, We've ticked off your God. We don't want no more part of that. And the, the initial thing when Moses said, let my people go, it says so that they can worship me. That was the first request he had of Pharaoh. He never really asked just to leave Egypt altogether. The first request is let my people go so that they can worship the God of heaven. And Pharaoh was like, no, nah, y'all my slaves, y'all going to work. And then he made the job even harder. So God was like, okay, this is how you're going to play it. And so we know the story. God went all out for his people and delivered them. But they brought him out with silver and gold. So then the question then is this, though. And uh, I I can't 
take credit for this question. It was my mentor, the first person that I heard say this and ask this question. It made so much sense. Says that the, so the children of Israel they left Egypt with silver and gold. They left with wealth. They were there, broke, busted, disgusted, slaves. Then they left with a whole bunch of wealth, and then they ended up in the wilderness where there was no malls to spend their money, no Amazon Prime to spend their money. There was no car dealerships to spend their money. Okay, even if we take it back to their day and age, there wasn't no chariot dealerships. So they have all this money, but nothing to spend it on. So it makes me believe that the initial purpose of wealth is not for spending. It can't be if God gave it to them and then the next place he took them was a place where they couldn't spend it. So here's the larger question answered. Exodus 12, 25, 1 through 2. So Psalms is a recounting. Exodus is the actual story. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel that they bring me an offering from everyone who gives it willingly with his heart. You shall take my offering. So step number one is when God transfers wealth into your hands, step number one is not you to spend it. Step number one is God says, I want an offering. And here's the reason why. Now we talk about bringing the kingdom from heaven to earth. We have to understand God needs some stuff done in the earth. He doesn't need stuff done in heaven. So when he brings money into your hands, he doesn't drop money out of the sky. He doesn't drop gold out of the sky. He's not a counterfeiter. And number one, it'd knock you out if gold just dropped out of the sky. So what he says is I've already have the money in the earth. But there's some stuff I need done with it. So I'm going to bring the money into your hands. But then I'm going to ask you for an offering. I'm going to ask you to do something for me. When we say give God an offering, we're not sending stuff up to heaven. He doesn't need it. But he's saying there's some stuff I want done on the earth. So stop number one is do what I want done first. And then the rest of it, you can use it for yourself. So do what I want done first. And so he says, then he says this, though, but from everyone who gives it willingly. So we do know that all of them had it. That he made sure they got it. It was because of God that they got it. But then he says, I don't want to take it from you. I want you to offer it. I want to ask it from you. And so here's another uh, wisdom point. He will never ask from you what he hasn't already given to you. So if he asks it from you, he's already supplied it. So it's a great slap in his face if he brings it to you and then you say no because he knows you got it. And I give the example that if I gave you $75 and then I was like, hey, as a matter of fact, let, let, me, let me have five of it back. And you'd be like, no, that is perfectly your choice. You have a right to do that. But it would seem a little weird since the majority of what you have, not the majority, since all of what you have came from me and the majority you have left, I'm and I'm only asking a portion. So if you say no, that's your right. But do you think I would give you 75 again, though, the next time around? Probably not. So here's the point. Uh, 
I almost added this because I like to add more in Bible study, but but I won't. If you go and look at verses three, four, five, six, and seven, you will see exactly what he asked for. And the reason why I say it might be good for you to do that, uh, Exodus 25, one through seven, because we're going to jump through to verse eight. And one of the reasons why I say that, because I, I heard and I've seen it repeated a couple of times and social media is a scary thing and where people will get on there and they'll say stuff and they make it sound real and true because they are so convincing when they say it. But a, a lot of people have said that nowhere in the scripture does God ever ask for money. So it does talk, say that, you know, he asked for grain, wheat. And so it's a, they say like if a church ever receives money from you, they are non-biblical. And it sounds good. But when you look at Exodus 25, one through two, it tells you he asked for an offering. But if you look at those next verses, he asked specifically for what he wants and monetary. He asked the first thing he asked for is gold and silver. So it's not true that he God never asked for material things. But there's a purpose. So here's the purpose. Let's go to the purpose and close this, wrap this thing up. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. So I don't want your stuff in heaven, but I actually want you to build something for me so that I can come and be with my people. If you know the story, they were to build a tabernacle. And, and, and he wanted his tabernacle to look a certain way. He wanted it furnished with gold in a certain way. So he's saying, first, I, I brought all this wealth to you, but I'm, I want you to build something actually so I can get closer to you. And we've talked about it in kingdom come. And the whole point of the gospel is God trying to come to us, not us getting up there to him. He's actually trying to come to us. And so he really says, I want you to use the wealth to build me a house. So. Here's the kingdom purpose. Kingdom purpose is this, willingly build for God first. And so here's the Debbie Downer of it all. The kingdom wealth test is, will it be God or golden calf? Because what ended up happening, instead of them doing what he said, when Moses went on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, they actually built a golden calf. And they eventually said, this is the calf that brought us out of Egypt and brought us over the Red Sea. And they worshiped it. So here's the key. The major test is this. When you get wealth, the first thing you're going to be tempted to do is consume it upon yourself in a way that you will worship it. Worship the material. Worship the stuff. Get caught up in mammon. But the goal is to make sure a portion of it goes to building God a house. So what do we mean now by building God a house? Because we have built building already. So we're talking about just having building funds. No, because the Bible says that, that the body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when we say build God a house, what he really means is use your money to bless people. Bless them in such a way that they receive God into their life, that they thank God and he has a way to come into their hearts and into their lives. Uh, I don't have time to go into it, but there's a scripture that talks about how the the blessing causes thanksgiving to God. So when people are blessed, like I'm talking about a real blessing, they immediately thank God. Even people who are what we call sinners, when they get a blessing, they're like, oh, thank God. 
and it gives God a chance to come to them. It gives them opportunity. Now, they may still reject God, but you did your part. You built him a pathway where he could dwell. So closing with this, Luke 16 and 10, he who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who was unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Verse 11, therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? So if you cannot pass the simple test with a simple demon that is trying to control you through money, if you can't pass that, You'll never get to true riches. And what we're trying to do, we're trying to reach the true riches, not just to consume it upon ourselves, but so that God can be glorified. All right. So that is this. That is the end of the kingdom wealth part. So let's bow our heads and let's close in prayer. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you. We do understand that wealth has a purpose. And we do understand that you need some of your people to have wealth. Maybe you don't want all your people to have wealth. But what we're saying is, why don't we be part of that group? Because we want to do it the right way. And we know how to love and reach people. So, God, bring it into our hands and we will do what is right with it so that your house will be built. We won't focus on golden calves, but we'll focus on God. And God, we thank you for bringing it into our hands to do the right thing with it. And we honor you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. God bless you. You uh, guys have a great week. Once again, we want to thank you for tuning in and watching. I see many of you in the comments. I appreciate you, Brother Earl Thomas. Appreciate you, what you're doing down there in Texas. So God bless you all. Much love to you. Good night.